0: This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal.
1: In the 21st century, many make claim to the idea that there is nothing left to uncover about our ancient past. That the last of Earth's long lost secrets Have finally been revealed. It's true, many histories embedded in the remnants of cultures long since past have been shared on the world stage, and the glimmer of mysterious lost cities like Ubar, Troy, and Machu Picchu have now been unveiled for the world to see. However. There remains a place in this modern world, largely untouched, the history of an unknown peoples still waiting to be revealed. The secrets of Mosquita remain blanketed by the thick carpet of rainforest and dangers, seen and unseen, that make this place one of the most treacherous to explore and document. Even local Pec elders insist that only danger lay on the path to the legendary city known as Ciudad Blanca. Many have searched, some making wild claims about discovering a city of great opulence, surrounded by walls of pure white stone, adorned with countless idols of a mysterious monkey deity. But none have proved their success. Until perhaps now. Join into the portal tonight for a special look at the search for one of the most persistent legends of Mesoamerica, the lost city of the Monkey God. hello and welcome back into the portal i'm amber ray
0: and i'm andrew mckay back yes indeed <laughs> <laughs> where else would we be i
1: don't know <laughs> i really honestly
0: don't know where we would be no if we didn't have this to release on a sunday night
1: exactly that would be bizarre it
0: would be very strange yeah. i don't want to know what that feels like
1: no well thanks for joining us folks and we are so happy to be here mm-hmm. uh we do have a bit of an announcement right off the bat um and it's not really one that we're happy to share, but we are going to anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it really comes down to just life slapping you in the face.
0: Yeah, punching uh, you in the nuts.
1: Yeah, all of the above. Yeah. Um, but essentially... We are having to make some changes, lifestyle changes around here. A little bit, yeah. Which means our work schedules have been ramping up quite a bit. And unfortunately, we have not had nearly enough time to dedicate to the research side of the show.
0: No, we have not.
1: Hmm. And so we have decided on a few things here. Uh, first, the regularly scheduled episodes are going to start to be parsed out over a two-week period. Yeah. So you can look forward to two parts of the same episode well same topic yes um similar to what we did in the beginning right with like Zerzura and yeah a we few definitely of them did more, more two-parters exactly yeah because some of them are so dense we we're like Ooh, dang we gotta mm-hmm. just divide this up and to be honest i feel like we've just kind of created that format for ourselves where we like to get into a lot of details so like we're saying and that you all are leading into know that we're leading into we are just not yeah not gonna have uh four episodes a month we're gonna have two topics spread out over four weeks. Right. So there will be something every Sunday.
0: Every Sunday. There'll always be something every Sunday. And we're still going to keep peppering in those film Fridays with yeah. you guys' awesome suggestions, which we just have been loving, especially the, I mean, the reanimator, the last suggestion was awesome. That was I, so much that fun. That was so much fun. But, I mean... This is, like Amber said, this is just something that hopefully is temporary, obviously, because we Mm -hmm. want to be able to keep dedicating, like, you know, we want to do this full time. I mean, ideally, we would do this for a living. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the the meantime, like, if you guys are craving more into the portal, obviously, we have our Patreon, and that is, of course, the way we're going to be able to eventually do this full time and dedicate more research. But until until then, um, we just have a few minor changes to make. Yeah.
1: So, that kind of wraps that up. Indeed. Um... But at the same time, if you do become a paranormal scholar over on our Patreon community, you can get a bonus not so many episode. Yeah, even we call we've them They're <laughs> <phones.
0: laughs> like fifty minutes. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's at our paranormal scholar level, and then we do have the ancient explorer, so you can get a full extra episode.
0: Full and the mini yeah. and a bunch of other stuff. It's pretty sweet. So
1: there's lots going on. Definitely. But
0: yeah. We're gonna keep. We're gonna keep it up. We're gonna keep it up for sure.
1: We'll we're definitely not going anywhere. Anyways. No, we're
0: not. <laughs> All right, what are we getting into tonight, Amber?
1: Well, before we get into any of that, Ooh. um, I did want to just welcome Andy. a new patron. Oh, of course, thank you, Alan. Oh we my we are so happy to have you on board. Yeah,
0: that totally made my week. Thank you, Alan. That's awesome. And we yeah. also have a new uh, review, four star review from M. What is this? M, I
1: really, I'm M just
0: M. Wils- w. Wesky. I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna say M. Wilsiski. Wilsiski. Yeah. That
0: makes sense. Okay. Four-star review. Thank you very much. Love the King Solomon's Mines episode. So that's cool. That was one of my favorite ones to research. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, they really like the historical angle.
0: Definitely. Mm. And then, of course, as always, this episode is brought to you by Coffee Gator. And we've got trivia question number three that's coming up at the break. And, of course, you guys can still answer the first two questions from our last couple episodes. All you got to do is go on our website, intotheportal.com. The tab is right there at the top super easy. We're not going to spam you with emails. Just get them in. We're trying to give you a free French press, people, we know you know the answers. Oh,
1: you know. we're not going to send any emails to you except for the one telling you you won exactly. <laughs> if you win. Exactly. <laughs> so don't worry about that.
0: <laughs> so anyway, stay tuned for that. Are you, uh, you
1: going to give them a hard time right now, Andrew? Or are you going to wait till we actually do well, the Well, I kind of just the... did a
0: little bit. A little bit, but I, 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 I'll probably re- I'll reiterate
1: that. All later. right. Let's get into it. Okay.
0: <laughs> so what are we looking at here? We're looking at... One of my favorite topics in all of the, everything that we cover, mm-hmm. lost cities are one of my favorites. And tonight, we're getting into the legendary lost pre-Hispanic city known only as La Ciudad Blanca, or the White City. Or, alternatively, the Lost City of the Monkey God.
1: Totally. And I actually, when I was doing the research, I uh, came across another one. It was just um, La, La Casa Blanca. La Casa Blanca. The White The White House, House yeah. Hmm so I don't know that kind of fits in there too
0: yeah yeah, it's a really, really cool story, and I'm I'm really glad we stumbled across it a while ago, actually, and we kind of banked it for now. But uh, mm-hmm. So La Ciudad Blanca has been a myth for a long time. It remained a pure myth for hundreds of years, um, pers- you know, of people pursuing the glory, essentially, of uncovering this unknown city, very much like an El Dorado or similar other lost cities like Paititi and things like that in Central America. But all the efforts were seemingly proved, proved to be unsuccessful, essentially, until the 21st century, when we had a team of... In- team of investigators who tasked themselves with finding this legend and sort of piecing together all this forgotten pre-Hispanic history in Central America and looking for this obscure long-lost city cloaked in the rainforest. So the investigation employed uh, state-of-the-art LIDAR technology and of course um, I think it was British RAF, uh, former military people, and Mm -hmm. they they, they had all the modern equipment and stuff you could use. Yes. And we, uh,
1: yeah. And, you know, I actually wrote that little bit when I was just getting into this, and the more I looked into it, I i was almost cringing when you're saying that because it's like it they weren't the first by any means there were so many that came before them and this particular investigation that we're really going to get into heavily in part two of this episode Mm -hmm. actually took place in 2015 and there was actually one in 2009 that was quite significant as well but there's there's inroads all over the sort of area of mosquita that sort of vast like largely untouched there's yeah. swaths of it that haven't seen a human in probably 500 years no. and i'm including i'm not saying humans and westerners or like researchers going there it's like literally indigenous populations a lot of them stay away from these areas for reasons we'll get into.
2: indeed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: but it's kind of sad though because there is these pristine swaths but then there's also a lot of clear cutting going on and this particular area that we're going to get into more heavily in part two was actually estimated to be overrun by deforestation within eight years so it's really good timing that they made it there when they did definitely yeah definitely
0: because i would open it up for not only obviously the rainforest going and but just it would have been looted right totally Instantaneously.
1: exactly and they were even afraid of that as soon as they got to the site and it was a team of probably at least 10 to 15 people not including the honduran military that was also stationed with them and at one point one of the raf members former members um that was part of the team just like he made the comment he's like because everyone was like kind of arguing over whether they should leave the artifacts in situ, like where they are, or if they should excavate them for fear that they will be looted. Right. And everyone decided that it would be safe enough to leave it. But the RAF guy, like, kind of um, prodded Douglas Preston um, in the side and kind of said, like, you know, the the threat is already here because those Honduran military guys that are stationed, they're they're already plotting out all the points on their gps's and they're gonna be the ones to come back and that was just his personal well,
0: he's probably not wrong
1: well i, I don't want to like say like those people are all just
0: <laughs> well i l- know l- but, but i mean obviously, there's a lot
1: going on and so yeah. it's very it's
0: i don't think you're making a heck of a lot of money being in the honduran military no you're probably gonna take an opportunity to, uh, snag something of value.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the ultimate argument that won over was the fact that, um, narco traffickers would have probably, um, put up enough safeguards because it's their area. And so no looters would dare kind of venture in for fear of the... But of
0: course, this is, this is beyond, I mean, I, well, I guess maybe not at this point now, like we're in 2019, but, uh, this was not that long ago, like, well beyond, like, where traffickers would have been. Like, this is pretty out there. And just to be clear, like, mm-hmm. we didn't say it in the intro, but we are dealing with Honduras here. Oh, yeah. Mosquita. Yeah. Um, one of the most remote places in the world.
1: It really is. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But you did mention something interesting. Mm-hmm. LiDAR. Yes. LiDAR. It's a game changer. It is indeed. It is amazing, this technology. It essentially... It started off using satellite dishes in space, and what they would do is they... Would use lasers and like basically lasers, lasers, and they would penetrate. At first, they were doing this in the desert. So this Arabian um, lost city of Ubar was found using this technology. Very cool. And this guy Ron Blom, he was like the lead researcher for it.
0: Ron Blom. Ron Blom. Oh man. (laughs) And that was
1: actually Preston's initial contact with this whole investigation in the nineties. Okay. So there's a whole story there too but yeah this lighter technology is amazing and so when you apply it to the rainforest obviously we're not dealing with sand but we're dealing with something very similar where there's lots of perforations lots of areas where light can get through and then they can actually map yeah the ground it's amazing yeah i thought this was a really interesting quote just on the topic of like how extensive these these sites are being revealed to because of this liner technology. Sorry, that was a weird way of saying that. <laughs> but essentially, this was from a guy named uh, Marcelo Canuto. He's with uh, Tulane University, he's an archaeologist, and he's also with National Geographic as an okay. explorer. And he just said here um, the ancient Maya never used the wheel or beasts of burden, yet, this was a civilization that was literally moving mountains. Which I thought was interesting. That's so pretty profound. That's what they're finding, like mountain-sized, like um, architectural remnants and stuff. Absolutely. These well, the
0: pyramids, very similar to the ones in
1: Egypt. In exactly. Giant blocks. Totally. And this quote in particular mentions references the ancient Maya, but this applies to all over Mesoamerica.
0: It, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And then on the topic of just lidar in, t- in specifically, there was another member of his team, uh, Francesco Estrala Belli. Francisco. Francisco. And he said here, at lidar is revolutionizing archaeology the way the Hubble Space Telescope revolutionized astronomy. We need 100 years to go through all the data and really understand what we're seeing.
0: That's kind of crazy to think.
1: That's insane. Because
0: here's the thing. It's people mind-blowing. Even before LiDARs become a mainstream thing, and actually, I mean, we'll talk about this more in part two, but, I mean, even for the these expeditions into the 2000s, like, it wasn't easy to get a LiDAR machine. It's not like it's cheap and accessible. Exactly. Right? It, it is It is expensive and non-accessible. Totally. And people are, people would have been thinking, no, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, like... We've found everything because we've got helicopters and planes and satellite dishes, right? You can't see anything <laughs> beneath the canopies of these jungles.
1: Not with You'd be your dropping bare basketballs
0: eye. out of the plane as you go by and you'd be seeing them on the tops of the trees. That's <laughs> how dense it is. Like, there's no getting through except for billions of laser beams.
1: Very true. And a, a good point that you just made there is... The expense and also the complications of using a LiDAR machine in a Cessna Skyrocket plane. So it's a really tiny little plane. And essentially what you need to run that machine is a piece of equipment that you can only get from the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. And it essentially is... Oh, shoot. I don't have the notes in front of me right now. But it's kind of this... It's like a leveler almost. So it... It...
0: It's like an auto-leveler, so you get the Almost. best image or
1: whatever something. Exactly. That's probably just
0: layman's
1: But you terms, need but... so much security clearance just for this one little tiny... It's like the size of a coffee can, apparently. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, so expensive. And it's actually used to track, um, like, rockets as they're airborne. So, like, missiles. So people know exactly where they are in the air at all times. Oh, we
0: need to talk to Chris about this. Totally. He have lots more to say on the matter. Oh, he...
1: Yeah, he would have... Uh, tons today because we're dealing with NASA too right in this like satellite technology right we should reach out to him yeah we should <laughs> oh Chris
0: let's call him right now he likes last minute, uh, like,
1: yeah, last, last, minute. <laughs> last minute
0: hey Chris we're right in the middle of recording you want to be on the show
1: <laughs> uh, oh, man. all right so let's get into
0: Yeah. So where
1: is this city?
0: Definitely. Like we're going to be focusing on this main guy, Douglas Preston, Preston, Mm -hmm. who was the lead writer um, for National Geographic and wrote this book called The Lost City of the Monkey God. But we're going to be focusing on that in part two of Mm -hmm. this uh, two part episode. And he chronicles this journey and it's epic. It is amazing. It's really, really cool. But before that part two, obviously. So where exactly is this white city? Like into the history. <laughs> let's let's do it. So somewhere in La Mosquita Rainforest. I love saying that. It's Mosquita. awesome. I hope I'm close at least to my pronunciation. Yeah. It's approximately thirty-two thousand square miles. And this region has been referred to by early maps and cartographers cartographers as Portal del Infierno, mm-hmm. or the gates of hell. And there's a bunch of different reasons for this, but how perfect is that for our show? It's awesome. I mean, it's pretty- I, as soon
1: as I read that, I was like, "Wow!" <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. So yeah, it is. It's one of the most dangerous, most inhospitable places on Earth, and one of the least penetrated natural re- regions, as well as due to like the thick canopy, the rainforest itself, tough to navigate, peaks and valleys, and also obviously the deadly things that are in there. Hmm. Um, pools of quicksand that can swallow a person in seconds, and people hear about that in stories. That's a very, very real thing in these places. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's also deadly predators, such as the fur de lance viper, which is one of the most venomous snakes.
1: So freaky. And they
0: strike unbelievably quickly, to the point where I think he references in the book, we'll probably get into this part too as well, but um, the snake guards that they have. Snake eaters. They actually weren't even raided to the level to deal with the fur de lance I believe. Or there was some issue with it.
1: <laughs> A main thing that was the gloves. So they needed, like, scuba-grade gloves and stuff right. like that because that was the only grade of rubber that would actually not have the, the fang penetrate. It's insane. And even, yeah, so if you literally are bitten by this snake, I didn't, like, go into this too much with our research, but essentially what happens is... First of all, you're bound to lose the limb that was just bitten. Uh, second of all, you're probably going to die right away unless you're airlifted to a hospital within a like within twenty minutes to half an hour. I would imagine. I can't remember what the exact mm-hmm. time frame was, but yeah, even if you are managed to successfully like um, amputate or like shed away, okay, there was this one team member, Steve Elkins, who was the actual lead of this 2015 expedition that we'll be getting into. He worked with someone else on a different team uh, for a different project who actually did end up getting um one fang i think it was through his boot like into his um into his ankle and he luckily holy moly so he had anti-venom right away into the wound and then they airlifted him out and immediate surgery they had to literally scrape away the all of the tissues, all of oh the tendons, God. all of it, straight to the bone, and then they had to take a chunk of his ass and put it where the missing flesh was, so that he could continue to have a limb. All from just a little
0: nick from yeah. a fang, so like yeah. a fallout bite, like your toast,
1: you're done. And they only took seven anti-venom units in with them when they went and they probably should have taken close to 20 but
0: anyways yeah, well they were feeling they were feeling pretty confident about it yeah but it ain't just the snakes there's also bullet ants oh, um God. and the thing with these things is that they're not on the ground they're lurking in the trees so they can drop on top of you and apparently, it's exactly, like, how it's described in the name. Like, it literally feels like a gunshot wound um, yep. in terms of the penetration of their venom. Oof. That's bizarre. Like, a gunshot from a natural That's animal. That's insane. That's
1: crazy talk. Anyways. Could you imagine if you accidentally grabbed a branch and just went showering down on you, all these bullet ants? <sighs> or even fire ants. That would be, like... So- I...
0: Which would you... I think I'd probably rather have fire ants. The fire ants, ants
1: definitely. Yeah. yeah, the bullet ants... You'd probably die, actually. I wonder... You'd go
0: into shock, for yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Anyway... The other thing Getting about a thousand
1: this... million bullets at <laughs> the same time a
0: thousand million <laughs> very technical there yep Very technical. anyway the other thing about this place is it's obviously slow moving and that's to be expected obviously like people who have uh, are familiar with percy fawcett's story and stuff like that will know this i mean you're traveling approximately two miles a day and that's when you're going like hardcore yeah two miles stop. a stopping. day
2: that's Crazy. like a full day that's
0: like a 12-hour day that's that's pretty crazy. So you're traversing this train, obviously wading through lagoons, jagged mountain ranges, and ravines, and they're cut, you know, cut through its endless jungle. It's endless jungle. Mm-hmm. This place is insane.
1: It is really insane. And you know, not even just the natural horrors that are lurking in there. There is, like we alluded to earlier, right. It is pretty much a lawless area that is controlled by drug cartels. Yep. And so essentially you're if you are <laughs> if you're a member of like the US government or even just an american in general but if you are actually government personnel the state department absolutely forbids you from entering the mosquita region Simply really? because of that. Because it's almost as if it is sovereign nation territory of these cartels.
2: Like no everything, one's coming to help you.
1: Well, not everything, sorry. About 80% of all cocaine that comes from South America finds its way through the Mosquito Range before it goes to the U.S. Because
0: it's just so un-
1: untouched. Exactly. And not only that, you obviously do have other people around, poachers, illegal loggers, uh, deforesting the area either for the wood, like the mahogany, like the hardwoods, or just to create space for cattle to graze. Hmm. That's a big reason. And then, of course, I don't know what the actual murder rate is, but essentially, Honduras has the highest murder rate. I feel like maybe Russia tops that, but I don't
0: know. It's definitely (laughs) Honduras. Uh, Maybe El Salvador, possibly. Actually, that's true. Or what about Colombia? I mean, they're all not... I mean, Colombia has definitely improved over the last few years on the world stage and stuff in their mm-hmm. economy. But yeah, Honduras and... Uh, struggling. But yeah, I mean, it's not surprising, right? Um, no,
1: it's really they've not. Been,
0: uh, they've had a rough go, and internationally it's, speaking.
1: It's just... It's a lot of turmoil. Yeah. And for Threat- a lot political, of... Political uh, corruption. Ex- yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it's just... And, and a lot of uh, Western civilization... But
2: anyway,
1: <laughs> <laughs> not getting into that today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so essentially, even now in the 21st century hundreds literally hundreds of square cl- sorry not kilometers miles <laughs> <Canadian>. <laughs> of the mosquito rainforest remain um, scientifically uninvestigated and largely uninhabited and hmm. so yeah like how to stay safe in this rainforest it was kind of funny the very first chapter of Preston's book um, the lost city of the monkey guard uh, guard the, the lost guard. city of the monkey god holy moly <laughs> um he actually went over a few things like he had like a meeting with this guy his name is andrew wood and he was part of the british sas he right. essentially sas he,
0: i said raf i'm an idiot oh. i went I, i'm i, <coughs> was I didn't thinking, correct you. i had uh well you know why because that has to do with our third tri- trivia question It's it does really, so anyway mm-hmm. that's uh you'll you'll get my uh my mistake there folks in a second
1: <laughs> so he had some good advice to offer to these people and he was kind of referred to as woody thereafter but his real name's andrew wood and he was Like we said, he was, like, basically the hired protection slash, um, what do you call, like, he would basically go and, like, make the camp. And he would make sure... He had his own company, actually. It was a company called... I think it was called, like, the film... Something to do with, like, getting film crews out into places like this. Exactly. Mm Because this guy
0: came from a military background where it was literally special ops getting dropped into exclusively, like, jungles and dangerous places for both animals and people.
1: Exactly. So he had a lot of advice. Um, One that I thought was kind of interesting and very simple and very easy to forget never step over a log huh never always step on top of it with both of your feet look to the other side before you step down because nine times out of ten there will be a fertilance or some other viper like lurking right there like
0: along the edge of the exactly log, like the... right
1: nestled in, the... in there another thing never grab a branch from above could it couldn't be a it could be a snake potentially or it could send a shower of fire ants or even worse bullet ants i'm sure so th- that was a few little things but he had a lot to say in that meeting and essentially by the end of it all of the team was like scared straight
2: yeah. it had
1: gone from like a really casual resort atmosphere where they're lounging around the pool with beers to like being like like sitting like they're like having their like what what would be a good you example? Not even like
0: you're in a kindergarten classroom getting scolded for doing something wrong or something street like
1: that. Street smarts.
0: Street smarts. <laughs> yeah, a little more than street smarts, I'd say. But okay, let let's get into the legend, because that's what this part one is supposed to yeah. be about. So we've
1: here. we've laid out the whole what we're dealing with here in Mosquita and Honduras. There's a lot going on. Yeah, definitely. Mm.
0: Okay, so Here's the here's the breakdown of the legend, and we're going to kind of go through some of the earliest myth-making that's attached to La Ciudad Blanca because we think it's really important. Mm-hmm. And essentially, since the earliest days of European conquest of the Americas, as you can probably imagine, the Central Mesoamerican indigenous legends, you know, were filtering into these, you know, conquerors, right? Mm-hmm. And these were, again, tr- you know...
1: Well, conquerors and gold-seekers. Gold-seekers so specifically, right? Mm-hmm. And then they were
0: making their way across the pond and spreading internationally. But um, they were told of this advanced, lavish city glittering in in the rainforest canopy hidden deep in the Amazon, tucked away in a forgotten valley of the Mosquito Ranges. Something that even some of the locals way far away didn't quite know how to get there, Mm. but it was this place that everyone knew of.
1: I just like had this thought, the Mosquito is part of the Amazon, correct? I feel like, I feel like the Amazon's actually in I feel like I just
0: said that and I don't that's not correct. No, actually, that's not. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like that no. just like that just made its way in there.
1: That's not that's, that's so my let's, bad, because I actually that. wrote that.
0: So, I mean, but essentially we're dealing with very similar territory, though. I think that's just what your brain went to. I think in so. Yeah. Um, and also because we have a few other research projects on the go with uh, the Amazon linked into it there. So, anyway. Yeah. but um, <laughs> So, everyone knows where we're dealing with here. Okay, we're in Central America. We're in Honduras. Look at a map. It's easy.
1: And Even if you just search Copan... Everything east of Copan, east and, like, south, is the Mosquita area. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So just, just below Mexico.
0: Just below Mexico. hmm So everyone probably will re- recognize this name, Hernan Cortez.
1: Cortez! Okay. Yeah. Even
0: if you were just watched an in the... uh, in Indiana Jones movie.
1: <laughs> or in grade 10 socials.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did we talk about Cortez in social studies? Really?
1: Or Actually, no. I think that was in university when yes. you were covering the whole... You
0: wouldn't. Grade 10 I... social studies was like Louis Real.
1: Oh, that's true. yeah, that's actually a good point. I just did so many courses related to colonialism and all that kind of stuff, and right. I, it all just blends together, but <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: you're in you're in those classes when you were sixteen. That's
1: fine. no, I was like eighteen anyway
0: yeah. <laughs> But the myth really did start with this guy, Hernan Cortes. So in the 1520s and his conquest of Central America, so when the first Spanish explorers began kind of venturing into the interior of this new world, they began hearing these stories, and Cortes was one of them. He was definitely a myth maker, for sure. Um, Or a
1: myth purveyor. A myth
0: purveyor, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a better way of saying it, for sure. He actually penned a famous fifth letter, as it was called, to Emperor Charles V in 1526, which essentially... Painted this vivid picture of the possible riches and the need for further exploration inland and what this would possibly reveal, this La Ciudad Blanca. So obviously the king was who wouldn't be excited about this, right? Exactly. So the letter definitely planted these seeds of La Ciudad Blanca La Ciudad Blanca in this already definitely gold-hungry minds of the conquistadors, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely stirring the pot. And sort of the quote was most sacred majesty. I have trustworthy reports of very extensive and rich provinces, and of powerful chiefs ruling over them, ascertained that it lies eight or ten days' march from that town of Trujillo, or rather between fifty and sixty leagues. So wonderful are the reports about this particular province that, even allowing largely for exaggeration, it would exceed Mexico's riches. And equal it in the largeness of its towns and villages, the density of its population, and the policy of its inhabitants. That's pretty interesting, and that's, that's a lot huge. of de- that's a lot of detail too.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So
0: purveying a myth in a way, but mm-hmm. um, definitely. I mean, that's yeah. I-, I love that. I love that quote.
1: Yeah. I could you just imagine you're in this? What you take to be. The land of savages and people that don't appear to have any civilization, but then you get these, like, whiffs of something, right? Could you just imagine? You'd just be like a dog. You'd be hungry. You'd just be like, oh, give me some of that.
0: (laughs) The only thing was, though, it's like the old land of Red Earth was referred to by Cortez, but the conquistador would never actually pursue the riches of the white city. He would just sort of purvey the myth Mm -hmm. because he was busy trying to squash the uprisings that uh, they were uh, kind of... uh, stirring up yeah so
1: yeah cortez is an interesting bird he uh he definitely was not like like all conquistadors he definitely was ruthless but not as ruthless as a lot of his other contemporaries and he would try and go the diplomatic route yeah as opposed to being like you know a lot of them would just put on the guise of diplomacy and then have some sort of trick tricksters tactics um like we saw with the case of montezuma right when yeah, uh
0: definitely
1: oh my gosh what's his name um he that whole that super epic, um, meeting between Montezuma and the first Spanish explorers, and then they essentially tricked him uh, tricked Montezuma into thinking that everything was all good and hunky-dory. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up... It was almost like um, the Trojan War, right? With the Trojan horse, totally. where they just, like, all of a sudden just whipped out their guns and just started shooting everyone. And then it was chaos. And then within days, they had Montezuma uh, dead. Yeah. Which was really sad. They shouldn't have done... Well, okay. Huh. I'm not gonna <laughs> even gonna no, get no, no. A story.
0: For some <laughs> reason, I felt like Cortez was linked to that story as well.
1: Um, Possibly could have been. You he know was what? was definitely
0: one of the earliest. You know
1: what? Actually, I'm not even going to...
0: He was definitely one of the earliest, and this episode's not about that specifically. No, but But uh, anyway, obviously worth mentioning.
1: But yeah, Cortez. He was the original, and a lot of people would take his fifth letter as inspiration for their own sort of treasure-seeking ventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next guy, though, came about about 20 years after uh, Cortez heard about this and penned the letter to his emperor. Mm-hmm. And this was a Spanish missionary by the name of Cristobal de Paraz- pa- Pedraza, sorry, mm-hmm. And he definitely wasn't a treasure seeker. He wasn't out for gold, riches, none of that. He just actually um, kind of came upon this amazing scene when he was high on a bluff somewhere in the Mosquito region. No, he wasn't high, but he was high on a bluff. <laughs> like, sitting high on a bluff.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what everyone thought you meant. Did they? Not, it's not Did high they? on a bluff in BC.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, um, but he was just traveling through the area and he had some guides with him and then essentially he witnessed what he described as like an t- extravagant lavish looking white city just pristine in this like in the middle of this jungle in in a valley right because he was on this bluff and then he basically described how it was spread out in a river valley so this becomes really key later on in this 2015 expedition right? Um. Preston in his book, he included Pedraza in, his, uh, in this one chapter, and he described how essentially the Indian guide told him, told Pedraza, that nobles in that land took their meals from plates and goblets of gold. However, Pedraza was not interested in such things, so he just moved on without descending in Hmm. to explore the city. Which I'm thinking to myself, like, if only you had just gone down! You were right there, you were so close. Like, because then you could get the whole other side of it, is this still inhabited? Is it, you know what I mean? Like, was this guide referring to something in the past or in the present? Right. Because for me, a huge part of this mystery is when the city was actually evacuated.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Or abandoned or whatever you want to Definitely things get overgrown really quickly in the jungle. So if he had a clear view from a bluff of this White City, you'd think that it would have either been in, being inhabited or very recently evacuated, yeah. Because you wouldn't be able to see anything.
1: That's true. And you know, a lot of um, skeptics of the White City will actually claim that at certain areas in the Mosquito Ranges, you get these Exactly that, like bluffs and cliffs, limestone cliffs that can, at a distance, resemble a white wall.
0: Right, that's right. I remember reading that as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: so you get a little bit of it's almost like,
0: but... oh, that's very much like the mirages and looking for Zerzura. and being totally. Like, oh, there's the, I mean, it's the, the classic mirage there, but it's like there's the, uh, oh, what were they called again? The um like Ooh. the, wa- um oh, like where where they would go to these watering holes? Oh, the wadis. The wadis, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, watering <and> holes. <laughs> So, essentially, Pedraza contributed to the myth-making side of this white city legend. And his early story, along with other missionaries and conquistadors, would ultimately fuel the imaginations and curiosities of those to come later on. Mm-hmm. Anthropologists, archaeologists, um, a lot of people started collecting stories of what I referred to before, Kamasa or the White House, mm-hmm. from local Peck peoples. So, these are people that are residing. They're indigenous inhabitants of the Mesquita indigenous region. Hondurans. Exactly. And uh, it's really interesting because despite all of this fuel, the extreme hostile nature of anything east of Copan was just preventing everyone from sort of venturing further. It mm-hmm. was just so hostile. It was so treacherous, like, on so many different levels and without the comforts of modern technology aka helicopters <clears throat> airdropping you into something <sighs> like could you imagine trying to undertake this like I can't
0: no no I'll
1: take my armchair <laughs> just you know, do my guys, research like, from here it really
0: makes you think I mean because we've watched that movie where it's like Percy Fawcett's life it makes you think twice about guys like that that go to true v- that go to do not that not to that say like,
1: like I honestly think
0: and I don't mean think twice in a bad way. I mean, no. like, I'm like, wow. Like, yeah, like admire all, that ballsiness. Because
1: <laughs> it, It's funny that you say that, the whole Percy Fawcett and all this stuff, because that is always inspiring to me. That always makes me want to get out and go into the field. Yes. But there is something about this mosquito region, something specific that mm-hmm. I won't say, that will prevent me from going there. At, ever. Ever. At all costs, because it is not... Fun. Not worth it to me until until something changes. But anyways, Let's we're not gonna get into that. Less than this, ideal. Is, <laughs> this is me trying to say something without saying something. <laughs> Sorry guys. No, it's okay. That's okay. Uh, but, anyways, yeah. So we gradually over the centuries we have this coalescing of this legend, many legends, of this grand tale of a white city, alternatively called a forbidden city. And a lot of people argue that these are not the same stories so let's just be clear about that right, right now we're yes. not suggesting that it's the same but we're saying that there is something out there
0: definitely mm-hmm. absolutely and the story did, like you just alluded to, change over time, right? Mm-hmm. And in the 1920s, it was kind of... It, there was definitely remnants of it leading up to the 1920s as well, but mm-hmm. it was picked up again, so to speak, in the 1920s uh, by an ethnologist from Luxembourg named Edward Cosimus. Cos, Cosimius?
1: I think it was actually Consimius. I actually didn't put the N in there, sorry. Okay,
0: Edward. <laughs> we'll just go with Edward. Edward. Um, an ethnologist, and he essentially... Made some headway into the more sinister aspect of the legendary White City that had developed into this phrase that people had become referring to it as the Forbidden City, mm-hmm. um, and he came with the, came up with this while researching in the lo, in the area. The locals kept relating this to, or sorry, they kept um, referencing this White City and how it was cursed, mm-hmm. right? And those who dared look upon it or venture there were essentially doomed to die. And we've heard, <laughs> why we, is that? <laughs> I mean, we've heard. Similar things like you know with maybe Egyptian curses or something like that, but this is different. Like there's something there's something about this that's that's interesting, right?
2: Yep. And
0: this is the 1920s, so this is well after any Spanish smallpox and diseases and type things were there at the beginning and would have wiped people out. True. But did that carry over? Is kind of my question Mm -hmm. here.
1: Um,
0: sorry, we go in (laughs) Consimius.
1: I think. (laughs) Okay. Consimius. Consimius.
0: He unlike Cortez, okay, repeatedly attempted to actually hire guides to take him into these locations, but everybody refused. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. <laughs> um, they claimed ignorance to it, but yeah. it was pretty obvious that they just didn't want to go yep. in fear of their lives. Essentially. And
1: you know, it's funny, I didn't include this in the notes, but actually there was an anecdote from these locals that Consomias was in contact with and they related how one of their members had visited the white city and he brought back i can't remember i think it was a, a monkey idol
0: okay and
1: he died shortly after
0: mm. and they didn't
1: say how so yeah ominous mm-hmm. ominous
0: indeed so yeah okay then there's this rubber trapper comes into play or sorry trapper rubber <laughs> tapper <laughs> you gotta
1: trap that rubber man, man. that rubber's
0: getting away <laughs> Gaggles. Trees travel and gaggles. (laughs) Um, So he he spoke with a rubber tapper um, who told the story essentially of stumbling across the white city. The ruins are, well, the ruins of Mm -hmm. an important city with stone buildings similar to marble and surrounded by large stone walls of the same material. Yeah. This is obviously extremely heavy, extremely high quality. Yeah. And in the middle of the freaking jungle, Mm -hmm. can you take what he's saying with... Seriously or with a grain of salt? I don't know, but obviously this kept uh
1: I'm gonna ed- take him seriously, the rubber tapper, because he's not out to find the city. It's no, not he's like he's like rubber. It's not like he's trying to like support or like a defend his aims or anything like he was literally just passing through yeah. and he's like what is this right. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. what
0: <laughs> could you imagine stumbling across that like if it was situated mm-hmm. in a certain way it would almost be like um 2001 a space odyssey yeah. like you're walking into the jungle and then all of a sudden there's like this perfect like rectangular marble slab like standing in front of you
1: mm-hmm. exactly Weird. it would have been very um discombobulating
0: discombobulating yeah, <laughs> absolutely know.
1: So, yeah, essentially by the late 18, or sorry, the early eight, 1930s, 18, <laughs> 19, oh, yeah. 18, the 1380s. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: You got the old
1: prospector.
0: Yeah, you got the prospector voice. I'm not there, sure you know. why that came out. Yeah, this is not a Because <laughs> we're
1: talking about rubber, we're not even talking about gold no. right here yet. But, uh, oh, man. okay, yeah. back on topic. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> So as late as the 1930s, the legend uh, making of the White City was definitely in full bloom. Um, Even those who were in the area that were conducting serious research um, not related to the White City definitely made note of these myths, even if they weren't planning on pursuing them. Hmm. And one such case is that of William Duncan Strong. (laughs) And he... Yeah, he, he definitely never went searching for it, but he did contribute to the myth-making side of this sort of story. So, essentially, he was one of the first of the modern, more, more modern, like, more what we would term scientifically-minded, less sort sure. of two-parts um treasure seeker and one part anthropologist or whatever right. but essentially he was sent by the Smithsonian bureau of american Anthrop or sorry ethnology to determine whether or not maya civilization extended past copan okay so by this point copan was uh, copan sorry was very uh, much a known site along with a lot of like chichen itza a lot of um sort of mexican oriented maya ruins mm-hmm. but anything east of that hadn't really been explored so he was tasked with that sort of mission and when he went there he actually determined that the ruins he was seeing were actually part of a separate culture so he defined this as distinct from maya and there was this sort of unique structure that they referred to as mounds and the most famous version would be the floresta mounds Okay. And so these are very, they contrast the stone structures of the Maya. And so basically Strong was very unsure. He didn't know how to interpret this material. And he kind of thought they could be like buried buildings. They could be buried temples. They could be tombs or they could be used for other purposes. And I kind of added in here myself. I was like, well, oh, what about like astronomy? Mm. they were very much in tune they had a very definitely. deep understanding of the astral side of the universe absolutely and then also tied into that it could have been for religious ceremony uh, we do get a lot of examples in maya culture where sacrifices would have been on the altar at the top of the tower yeah. or the pyramid and it was very highly symbolic definitely yeah
0: yeah those are definite possibilities i mean obviously it's hard to tell right like you see something set into the earth is it a tomb or is it sunk in
1: or but then on top of it right you get this extreme amount of annual growth rates right Right. of the foliage and the vegetation so it's like everything is covered up so it's really hard unless you have a lot of reference points as to when something was built and now what it looks like it's kind of hard to sort of really uncover yourself especially if you don't have a team behind you
0: definitely and i
1: don't think i think it was just him and maybe one or two other people and some guys
0: see that's just that's ballsy
1: yeah so essentially he did explore and he conducted several test excavations he couldn't do full excavations because of the lack of resources but he um, uncovered ancient cities called (laughs) wankabila Dos, dos quebradas and a site known as the Brown site. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I mean there's all of brown around.
0: They need uh they need Rothschild sewage and septic sucking services. Brown town. That's right.
1: Anyways, but yeah, like I said before, these people were definitely not Mayan and it was very curious and mysterious in the way that they suddenly disappeared. Right. And on top of it, the lack of history amongst locals.
0: Yes. It's bizarre.
1: So many questions were ultimately raised by Strong's findings, including who they were, why they disappeared, and what their relationship was with the neighboring Maya.
0: That is the most interesting one, in my opinion.
1: And we will have answers to a few of those questions by the end of this two-part series, Mm -hmm. but... He was kind of curious if he, he could uncover clues in deciphered Mayan hieroglyphics. I don't know if he was very successful in that. I couldn't find anything that suggested that he figured out anything. By this point, it's very, very early still. It's only the 1930s. Right. Yeah. So he did explore um, extensively in the Mosquito area. He went along the banks of the Rio Tinto. The Rio Tinto. And that's where he came across the story of the White City. And Interesting, this was a okay. local guide that shared it with him. He labeled the story, Strong, labeled the story The Forbidden City in his journal, which is now preserved by the Smithsonian. And there's actually images in the um, Lost City of the Monkey God book by Douglas Preston that shows you images of his actual diary. It's freaking cool. So, okay, his story, or the story that he was told, um, relates as follows, and this is included and retold by Preston in his book. So this is a quote from Preston. Um, page 1819 of his book the lost city strong wrote lies on the shores of a lake deep in the mountains to the north it's white ramparts surrounded by groves of orange lemon and banana trees but if one partakes in the forbidden fruit he will be lost in the hills forever so goes the tale strong wrote but it would be better to do as an informant's father did follow the river until it becomes a mere trickle among the roots and woods, and then have to turn back. The city would still be there that way. Like the Ciudad Blanco the forbidden fruit will probably remain a lure to the curious. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Long remain a cure or a lure. Sorry. But yeah, I thought that was really fun. Like he didn't, he didn't give any credence to this legend at all, but he was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is interesting. Forbidden fruit. Obviously remind, harkens back to Eden. and That sort of story.
0: Mm-hmm. Just yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to unpack with that if we really wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely be getting into more of this as we go along here for sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, that's interesting. This guy William Duncan Strong. I mean, w-
1: w- he was one of the most reputable and just very academic focused. He wasn't really parlayed by <laughs> these incredible myths as a lot of people who came after yeah. him before him did.
0: But and the question, I mean, it's so like the question of how they were related to the Maya or traded with them or were sworn enemies of them possibly because for there to be no record or possible indication of trade or items coming from different places even if it is in the same type of for you know what I mean like you'd think there may be something some sort of a reference point maybe so that's an interesting question yeah anyway we're heading into a bit of a promo break here yeah you ready for Mm -hmm. a little break okay so before we, uh, yeah, before we continue on here, we have a break for our friend Chris Birkenbein over at A Dash of Science. Mm-hmm. Awesome show. Go check it out, you guys. Um, <laughs>
1: awesome show. Great job.
0: <laughs> awesome show. Great job. That's a great show, too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he does do a really fun job. And I just listened to his two-part series all about, um, oh, my gosh, the name's escaping me right now. It's that guy that we covered a little bit in our alchemy series. Ooh. And he has a really cool name. And I really, it's oh, blanking.
0: Bl- I'm blanking too. Anyway, oh, well, listen to this sure promo. We'll, we'll be back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, everyone. Chris here from a dash of Science. You ever wonder how we evolved from apes, even though there's still apes around? Can't figure out why we don't have a cure for cancer or why we aren't gene-splicing the hell out of everything? Maybe you find yourself wondering why we aren't going to Mars yet or how come we're not headed full throttle towards all those habitable planets that NASA's found. If any of these feel familiar to you or you just enjoy hearing about science, technology, engineering, and medicine, then come check us out. At A Dash of Science, we take these topics and put them in a chokehold until they submit, until you get all the answers you never knew you wanted. So make sure you check us out at your favorite podcasting app or visit us directly at dashofscience.com. And we're back. So make sure to go check out The Dash of Science, subscribe, rate, and review. It's an awesome show.
1: It was Isaac Newton. Isaac
0: Newton. Yeah, we looked <laughs> it up. I, just, I literally was hey! listening to that.
1: No, we didn't look it up.
0: No, I mean, like, I I no, I mean I just looked at my phone. Like, I was listening to that episode all on the way home from work today. And I still <laughs> forgot. Oh, my God. It was just brain fart, big time. Uh, Anyways. That's funny. So, but, okay, before we continue on here, like we said, we've got our... Third question for our coffee gator contest. Before I say it though, you guys can still answer the first two questions. True. And to be totally honest Bank with up you. up those answers. I'm Bank gonna be them. harsh on you guys. This has been a little bit pathetic. Because <laughs> well, we we... We've, we've only had I I don't know how many entries. We've had a handful, but it's we... like I know you guys know the answers.
1: And out of how many people that listen to the show, yeah we, have, week, we right? know like, how many
0: people subscribe and we listen can to the see show. The analytics. So <laughs> we just want to give you guys a free French press because we really it's do. really, really we use it every morning. We make coffee this morning with it it's, epic. Oh, it's vacuum so sealed mm-hmm. it's sweet so go back listen to the last two episodes get your answers in and you can do that all the way till the end of the contest okay question number three this one comes from our great lakes triangle episode mm-hmm. so if you haven't listened to it you got to go back to listen to both but this is from part two vanished aircraft so what was the name of the pilot who while flying in an air defense intercept disappeared in 1953 over lake superior First and last name, people. Plain and all. And um, I vanished. So yeah, Yeah. hop on over to intotheportal.com, the the first tab, Coffee Gator Contest, and you guys can submit your answers.
1: For some reason, I just had uh, Rob Christopherson's voice pop in my head. Because, like, he, remember when he got at us on Twitter about exactly oh, yeah. the name? He was like, Remember Blank! And I was <laughs> like, oh. Remember, yeah! <laughs> no, I
0: was just about to say it.
1: Really. I know, don't say can't it! Can't
0: <laughs> give it away, can't give it away. Shout out to Rob there. Shout out to Our Strange Skies. Yeah. To that, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, we ready to get into uh, some more expeditions here?
1: Yeah, okay, so we're going to try and um, backtrack a little bit here. So we're going to the 1830s, so a full century before the time... Of Strong and his sort of uh, ventures in the woods, or jungle, or rainforest. <laughs> I
0: mean, it's a woods in a way. It's a wood. There's wood in There's
1: it. There's wood. There's <laughs> trays.
0: That's right.
1: Make like a tray and... Oh. <laughs> 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 Trailer
0: Park Boys reference. Whoopsies. Nice, nice, nice.
1: <laughs> All right. So, John Lloyd Stevens is where we're going to start with this. And he was very inspired by the, the sort of the letters that came from Conquistadora um, era of, of Absolutely. Spanish, um, conquest. Oh my gosh. I can't talk today. You're doing What's okay. going on You're with doing that? okay. I mean, hey. obviously
0: this guy had a lot to work with from the conquistadors.
1: So he, yeah, in particular, it was this letter from 1576, and it was penned by a man named Diego Garcia de Palacio. Yes. And he was a senior official in the Yucatan and essentially paved the way for lloyd stephen's quest okay. into the rainforest nice. it, yeah so this letter was addressed to emperor charles and it essentially said <clears throat> the first place in the province of honduras is called copan there are ruins there with vestiges of what had once been a great population and of magnificent buildings including mounds that seem to have been made by hand and in them many things to note before reaching them, there is a large figure of an eagle in stone, containing letters of a language unknown.
0: Interesting. Yeah. An eagle. In so stone.
1: he exactly so it was Copan primarily that he was interested in, but there's um, yeah, there was a lot tied into it. So essentially, him and his photographer, a man by the name of Frederick Catherwood, went traveling for weeks and weeks in the Mosquito region. And they took advantage definitely of civil strife. Uh, there was kind of a little bit of a civil war going on, I think, mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. A lot of confusion going on amongst the government. And so, essentially, they just took a couple of guys and disappeared into the woods.
2: Wow. Into Crazy. the
1: rainforest. <laughs> so, yeah, he he did come across um, this village. Right. And it was called Copan, but it was definitely not the ruins that they were looking for. Yeah. And by this point, he had kind of made his way over to uh, the border of Guatemala. Yes. And here, he was actually told that across the river, locals knew of an ancient temple that existed and was inhabited by monkeys alone. <laughs> That's cool. Exactly. So, of course, this piqued his attention. Yeah. And he described then how, of course, they traversed this river and went up these large stone steps that were very well constructed, almost reminiscent of Maya archito- ar- archaeology, but not quite, right. architecture. Well, architecture
0: and then later archaeology. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the foliage and tree growth had definitely dislodged a few steps along the way, so there was some erosion. These stairs supposedly ended in a terrace that was completely covered by rainforest foliage, but after <laughs> it, it was hacked away, there was this column revealed and it exposed the figure of a man and this was a quote from preston's book it says here the front of the column was the figure of a man curiously and richly dressed and the face evidently a portrait solemn stern and well fitted to excite terror Mm. the back was of a different design unlike anything we had seen before and the sides were covered with hieroglyphics.
0: Very interesting.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. so they actually made a few other expeditions um, in nineteen, or sorry, eighteen forty-one and forty-two, or between that. So it was one other expedition, okay. and they were there for quite an extensive period of time. That is a long time. Yeah, and so they did visit many ruins, including, like I mentioned before, Chichen Itza and Labna. And Lobna in particular was very notable for this stunning example of what they call a corbelled archway.
0: Right, And
1: yes. it's very, I don't even, because I'm not, <laughs> but it's like kind of like, uh, it's very well fitted in and it's kind of like, it looks like steps in.
0: Yeah, it's the inlaid together, like almost inlaid, yeah, almost tongue and groove style, if, if that kind of makes sense. So that obviously there is no supporting structure other than just the physics of the placement of the stones which is obviously pretty advanced and they're cut perfectly mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty pretty spectacular it was
1: really cool and like there were some pictures i saw and i'm sure if you just google it like, you'll be able to find a million and what really fascinated me about his expeditions was the fact that he again he had a very academic focus but catherwood in particular produced these st- Stunning illustrations. They look like photographs. It is beautiful. It's amazing. And I was just in awe. I was like, I want, like, I want these, like, life size on my wall. They're like so neat. Yeah. and We'll, you we'll post some for sure. Definitely. Oh, for sure. But of course, a lot of these, the majority of the ruins that they visited were dated to the Mayan era. They were Mayan of right. of Mayan origins. Yes. But yeah, they never came across the infamous Ciudad Blanca, even though, of course, they were. It, yeah. was, it wasn't far from their minds I right. would imagine as and of course area. every
0: time someone doesn't find it and find something else that just obviously just amps up the myth really right and mm. then of course just yeah shortly after uh, the earlier 1920s when I referenced before Charles Lindbergh has to uh, insert himself into this legend <laughs> somehow um, there's not a lot to go on here with this little bit of the story but it's pretty interesting so we wanted to mention it yeah but obviously the, famous, the famous pilot the first guy to cross the Atlantic we uh, also mentioned first the first pilot across the island. We did indeed. He mm. saw them. But Lindbergh allegedly also claimed to have seen the ruins of a white city far below his plane. Mm-hmm. So he flew over Honduras, said that he saw um, a city that was composed of limestone walls highly reflective against the forest during the day. Um, but these discoveries were never followed up on, and there was basically nowhere to land, obviously, anywhere nearby. Uh-huh. And the likelihood yeah. that he would have actually been flying over such a remote part of the Mosquito region is not... It doesn't seem like that would have been his flight path, necessarily. Yeah, there is where there debate yeah.
1: over that, where, where he was actually flying. Right. There were a few bush pilots that supposedly spotted this white city as well. Yeah, there have but. Been. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, ooh, Charles, you're in a plane. Don't be flying in a plane over drug cartel areas because they're going to shoot you down. Yeah, but this is 1927. But this is exactly, yeah. Yeah. so it's not quite in that era. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, and
0: then following Lindbergh, this one, this is where it gets really juicy.
1: This is a... Game changer again. It's like LiDAR, people.
0: Definitely. So 1939, there's a guy by the name of Theodore Mord, or Morday, depending on how you'd like to pronounce it. I'm going to go with Morday. He comes on the scene, and Morday was a part of the third expedition financed by this wealthy American industrialist by the name of George Gustav Hay. And Hay was... For lack of a better word, I mean, he was obsessed with Native American artifacts and history, and he basically—I mean—he had employed shady individuals over the years to pursue this mythical white city and in, inevitably other pursuits as well. he,
1: he didn't really like he—he he was just cursed himself. Like he didn't yeah. mean to come across these shady people, but I guess if you're dealing with someone that's willing to go into an area as hostile as this, then you're probably going to get some shady characters.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so it was M- Morda's infamous and that's how it's referred to now and we'll, you'll find out in a sec mm. infamous third Honduran expedition that would change the landscape of this search for the white city and Preston, Douglas Preston um, who wrote the book relates uh, how without this fateful trip of Morde's then the misguided quests for the lost city that basically littered, littered the decades of the 1950s and 80s it would never have even taken place so Morde basically was the driving force mm-hmm. for a lot of these searches, right? So, yeah, essentially without him, many including Preston's subject, Steve Elkins, would have not even come across the legend of the West City.
1: So hugely important, right? Like, he he contributed a lot to fuel the imaginations of the later half of the 20th century and into the 21st Hmm. for this particular legend.
0: I got a quote here to read. Mm -hmm. So, okay. And this, this is from The Lost City of the Monkey God. So, in 1939, adventurer Theodore Morday claimed... Oh, it's
1: actually not enough. Oh, it's not? No. Oh,
0: sorry. Anyway, quote.
1: Cool.
0: Where is it from, actually? <laughs> it's just from Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. In 1939, adventurer Theodore Morday claimed to have found a white... Claimed to have found city of the monkey god in quotes so which he and earlier explorers equated with the white city so this is where we get this diversion in the name mm-hmm. however he never prov- provided a precise location thanks Morde. and mm-hmm. then of course he died before returning to the region to undertake any further exploration
1: Unfortunately, yeah, he so, never provided a precise location he never even told his patron
0: which does was make hay. any
1: sense at all Anyways.
0: How would Hay not have demanded it? Like, that would almost know, have been right? his legal property rights. It would
1: have, which is very confusing to me. I don't know how that relationship actually played hmm. out once Morday made it back to the U.S. I would love to have been a fly on the wall oh for god. that. Oh my god, no kidding, dude. Yeah.
0: Anyway, Morday would describe in great detail a city walled in with white stones set apart by many stone uh, effigies of monkeys including one massive stone idol of a monkey which was worshipped as a deity and then in an interview with the CBS in 1940 he actually stated quote today the Indians near the region fear the very thought of the monkey the city of the monkey god they think it is inhabited by a great ape like hairy men called oolocks Okay.
1: Yeah. That
0: there's stuff to unpack. There. There's a
1: lot to unpack um,
0: there. We're 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 getting references to essentially a Central American relative of Sasquatch, mm-hmm. potentially. This that's or something like that, or prehistoric ape of some kind. Yes. Um. That's weird. The
1: Oolocks are a un unknown, as in like yeah, not not recognized um, class of hairy hominids known to have dark. Thick black fur stand about five feet tall, and I believe are quite aggressive. And they there was one story I was just getting into before we sat down to record this, where essentially there was a guy, a, a Mesoamerican native, that had a herd of horses, and one day he went out to check on the herd, and one of his horses had like his mane just tied in a bunch of knots, and he asked one of the stable boys, I guess, what had happened, and he said, "Oh, that was a new lock. And there was actually several different names that these creatures go by in the area. And it depends if you are relying on the Hispanicized version of it or the earlier right mm-hmm.
0: so the question is ultimately how much does this tie in to this diversion from the white city to maybe the name the city of the monkey god if these things were kind of like the kings of the jungle so to speak
1: exactly ape like that could gods play to into worship it perfectly.
0: or be afraid of yeah um
1: so that was really cool i was like i had to include that in this story because absolutely. even though it is a tangent for sure like that is bizarre epic and you know mord he was a character and he the more he talked to the press, the more detail the press got out of him. Yes. The more fantastical the story got. and <sighs> yes, so Poor Mord. He, he, yeah, like we said, he never revealed the location. And before he could actually plan a return mission to sort of go back. Cause he did bring a few artifacts out yep. of the area with him to he sort did. of support his claims. And unfortunately, this is 1939, so... What happens? Yeah, World we get War a little II distracted. Kind of steps in the way. And so we get that intervention, and Mord actually never returned to excavate his finds. Hmm. And he ended up hanging himself in his bathroom in 1950. He was very depressed, and he had definitely sunk into alcoholism, as it was called. Or, well, as the story went.
0: Yeah, as <laughs> I just, the story referenced. I exactly. Mean, we don't really. Yeah, I mean, So
1: likely. from then on, Mord, he. Provided this new linchpin, this new inspiration, for all the people to come with them, and so now we're talking post World War II era. We're getting a lot of advancements in modern technology, and until the 1990s, when lidar kind of became a thing, the myth of the White City took a backseat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there, uh, yeah, there just <laughs> there wasn't a lot of more advancement into this sort of harsh area of the Mosquito Region um but as soon as, as soon as lidar started revealing the extent to which what could be uncovered and what archaeologists call ground truthing um people were kind of discouraged so yeah that's kind of where we're getting down to the end of part one of this episode and this topic and (laughs) hope you guys enjoyed this one definitely so like we said next week we're going to get into the 21st century search for this mythical city including that uh, extensive excavation and then all the results of that and obviously what is the sort of history of these inhabitants can we answer some of these questions right. that we posed in the beginning Can
0: we f- <clears throat> excuse me can we find out who these people were exactly
1: exactly these mosquitoes and actually we never touched on this but um we've been saying mosquito mosquita, mosquita. it's not named after the insect it's actually named after the first tribe of indigenous people that adopted muskets from the spanish conquistador so right. they traded and, succe- and they got these and they were called the mosquitoes so m-o-s-k-i-t-o-s and That's pretty cool. I, like I just that. thought that was fascinating. And another little tidbit that we'll tease you guys with: we're gonna get into a little bit more of Theodore Mord's expedition and what he accomplished.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. Let's just say, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There's a lot <laughs> to unpack with Theodore, and I can't wait to get into. I can't it.
1: wait either. But what do you? What are your conclusions for this first part?
0: Well, I mean. I think we've, I hope we've painted the picture well for you guys of this, the myth and the the development of this myth. Um, mostly since the 1500s, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course pervade before that I'm definitely, this gets my juices flowing. Everybody knows that, um, to be able to find a city, but then possibly the treasures within it. And we're, we're doing that. This is kind of one of the first current events, almost so to speak episodes in a way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just can't wait to see what's found.
1: I know, right? Because for me, it's not even about things like finding gold death masks or something, or which allegedly, we didn't even include this, but um, Mord actually, he included that when he was talking to the CBS in the interview in 1940, how he had found these gold masks. <laughs> I believe that was him, actually. I might have that wrong. Shoot.
0: Well, he made a lot of bold claims.
1: He really did. But anyways, yeah, so... Until next week.
0: Yeah, that about wraps it up. Um,
1: oh, of course. of course. You can always get at us on our socials. Yeah. So we're always active on Twitter uh, come at, at Into us. the
0: Portal One and follow yeah. us on Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast. Shoot us your ideas as usual at, uh, to Into the Portal Mailbox at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to get your coffee gator questions in, people.
1: Yes. Drink better coffee with Coffee Gator and Absolutely. get 15% off your purchase if you insert the code CORK, spelled Q-U-A-R-K, That's right. at uh, the end at checkout. So go check out their stuff. They've got a lot of really cool
0: products. like Really sweet stuff. Yeah. More than just French presses. Like, it's,
1: Way it's more. really,
0: really cool. If you're into coffee like we are, I mean, definitely worth checking it out.
1: Definitely. So thank you, everyone, who happened to check this episode out. And of course, thank you so, so much to Charlene Ramler, our thank producer. Thank you, Charlene and to all of our lovely patrons we love you
0: absolutely and alan you're the newbie thank you for joining we hope you guys go check it out too so (laughs) thank you so much for listening to this episode and stay tuned for part two of our uh, search for the legendary la ciudad blanca
2: Mm